Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. You want diversity? Then enter a registered apprenticeship program. A new report from the National Building Trades. Steelworkers on building the essential supply chain in America. And today on the show, we check in with the Alliance for American Manufacturing and the latest from the North Coast Labor Federation. Welcome to the Thursday, January 19th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least Six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Scott Paul. Scott is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. AmericanManufacturing.org is her website. Great job on that website. I do suggest you check it out. A lot of good information there. Scott is one of our sponsors here on the show. and One of the things we're going to talk about is China. One of the few bipartisan things the House of Representatives might do, and this is not easy, is to ensure that China's Communist Party is not harming our economy or our security. And he uh, did an op-ed piece in uh, a publication called Real Clear Politics, and he talked about this. And he goes back two decades when we normalize relations with China. And Scott writes, a lot has changed in the 20 years since Bill Clinton united with a vast majority of congressional Republicans, as well as members of his own party, to pretty much write a blank check to China for its imports in the misguided hope it would become friendlier or more open in return. Well, we all know that didn't happen. What did happen? A lot of jobs disappeared, according to the Economic Policy Institute, and this is just over 17 years, not the full 20 years or 20-plus years, we lost close to 4 million jobs. And we were supposed to create jobs. Well, a lot of those trade deals have fallen short. The good news is manufacturing has come back. In fact, last month, 8,000 jobs were added, and we lost tens of thousands of jobs during the pandemic. They have all come back, and then they have added more. That's definitely a good thing, and a lot of that has to do with good policy. Tariffs, we're going to talk about that. During the Trump administration, they uh, clamped up with China on, uh, on trade and tariffs. That had a profound effect. Biden even took that further, and Scott will talk about that. We have a problem with Mexico, especially with steel. I'll get to that in a minute. So we'll touch on that. We'll also touch on solar. Now, this is crazy. We invented... The solar cell. United States of America invented the solar cell. That happened at Bell Labs. (laughs) We don't make them here. We don't make them here. The good news is the Biden administration is pushing to spur solar production. And they pumped in, I believe, two and a half billion dollars to make sure a lot of this went to China, Korea, Vietnam. So uh, we'll get into that as well. So Scott Paul will be our first guest. Our second guest today is Tony Panza, and this is our segment we do at the North Coast Labor Federation. Tony is chair of the Grievance Committee for Steelworkers Local 979. They represent uh, 
members employed at the Cleveland Cliffs plant. He is a third-generation steelworker. His father, Frank Panza, was the chief griever for Steelworkers Local 188 back in the 80s and 90s. And uh, he represented workers at J&L Steel and LTV, two companies that are no longer around. They uh, filed for bankruptcy many years ago. We're going to talk about uh, the legacy of the steel industry, future prospects, new investments, and the impact of the recent trade deal with Mexico, the USMCA. They called it NAFTA 2.0. Well, right now, it's not very good. Steel imports from Mexico have surged over the last couple of years, primarily because of this agreement. Overall, imports have risen by 141%. The surge of steel, steel conduit, which is used in construction, led to the closure last year of a Long Beach, California steel factory with the loss of 145 union jobs. The Biden administration is being urged to consult with the Mexican government about this, and I'm sure Tony is going to get into that and more. Um, What happened here? We clamped up on China, but Mexico picked up as a result of that. They saw void, and they certainly filled it. So uh, Tony Panza will be our uh, second guest right here on America's Workforce. You know, while we're talking about steel, I have to do a shout-out here for Tom Conway. Tom is the uh, president of the United Steelworkers. In a new blog, he talked about the importance of building the essential supply chain. And he uh, referenced the CHIPS and the Science Act, which was championed by unions and passed last year. We've talked about that on the show many, many times. And he said that uh, it's good because it invests billions of dollars to increase domestic semiconductor manufacturing and ensure that the supply chain provides essential materials and parts to chip makers. According to Tom, the legislation, quote, will end America's dangerous over-reliance on foreign chip producers whose pandemic-related production disruptions and inability to meet surging demand continue to stymie production of new vehicles. Strengthening the nation's semiconductor industry will also ensure a more reliable supply of the chips needed for many other kinds of consumer goods, along with communications networks, energy systems, and the military equipment essential for national security. That's so important. That is the issue that is uniting our politicians. You know, when it comes to the military and security, we have to make sure we are safe and keeping our people safe. And it's important to invest in the infrastructure that's going to keep us safe. Tom Conway notes that the legislation already has launched dozens of manufacturing projects that have the potential to create tens of thousands of good jobs. I'm sure he'll be talking about this with us on a future show here on America's Workforce. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Big announcement this week from Sean McGarvey, who heads North America's Building Trades Unions, better known as NAB2. Sean released a very important new study that shows registered 
union apprenticeship programs have more success in promoting racial and gender diversity than any other apprenticeship programs. The first of its kind study was commissioned by NABTU and conducted by the Institute for Construction Economics Research. What they did, they studied data going back from 1999 to 2019, 20 years, and it covered 34 states. According to the study, women made up 4.8% of all union apprenticeships in 2019. You go into the non-union sector, it's half of that. 2.4% of non-union apprenticeships were women. The same year, 9.6% of union apprenticeships were black workers. Almost 30%, 29.4, Latinos. For non-union apprentices, the number fell to 7.9% for black workers, 22.5% for Latinos. Boy, the big difference there with blacks. Again, Union apprenticeships for blacks, almost 30%. Non-union, just shy of 8%. McGarvey noted that the next 10, maybe 15 years will provide a phenomenal amount of opportunities to continue this work and lift tens of thousands of people right into the middle class through apprenticeship programs. This is what he said in the uh, news release. We've got to work a little harder and dig a little deeper to attract the kind of people that are looking for these opportunities. We're going to stay on this issue, and uh, if you missed the show we did on Tuesday, did a couple of segments with Lou Antonellis. Lou's a business manager of IBEW Local 103. They have a big presence in eastern Massachusetts. I mean, 10,000 plus. And uh, they just graduated the most diverse program in their history. And we've been doing some checking around the country. It's happening in other locals, and we're going to stay on it. But if you missed that show, just go to awfpodcast.com. In fact, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be hearing from one of those graduates who comes from India. It's amazing. I think it was over 50% of the grads were women. Just amazing. All right, quick break. Scott Paul on behalf of the Alliance for American Manufacturing coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, 
oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, always connecting people with employment. You can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to the nation's capital right now. Joining us on line number one is Scott Paul, longtime supporter of America's Workforce. Scott serves as president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Do check out their website. Really, really nice job they've done on that, americanmanufacturing.org. Today, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about China. And uh, this is good news because we're talking about People that are working together, from the Democrats to the Republicans, and it seems like China is now the common enemy here. Scott Paul, welcome back to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, brother? Flash, it is uh, great to be with you, uh, as always, and since we haven't spoken uh, in, the, in the new year, Happy New Year to you. Well, and thank yours. you, and same to you, and, and thanks for the continued sponsorship here on America's Workforce. Yeah, let, let's get into China here, but first we should point out that uh, jobs are coming back I saw the report that you uh, sent out a couple of weeks ago when they came out with the uh, the jobless numbers every month and manufacturing added 8,000 jobs in December. That puts us way above where we were, uh, you know, what the, the jobs that we lost during the pandemic, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great news. And, you know, th- things are slowing down a little bit from the hiring perspective, but they're still positive. And the bottom line is this. In the last uh, two years, we've added three-quarters of a million manufacturing jobs. That's 750,000. It's it's a pretty remarkable pace. And this is the best manufacturing jobs recovery that we have seen in more than a generation. Uh, And so a lot of people didn't think that was possible, right, with robots, automation, with imports and all of that. But – uh, it shows, uh, you know, the sector is pretty resilient. We have a good, uh, good workers, uh, good, good products. And uh, most importantly, I think when you back it up with policies that are going to promote bringing jobs back rather than sending them overseas, then, you know, it does make a difference. Uh, and this kind of shows it. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, durable goods manufacturing, we're talking automobiles, machinery, uh, very robust, certainly a good sign. But there is some caution out there. You know, the Fed has been raising rates. There's talk of a possible recession. We've got this issue with the debt ceiling now. I mean, (laughs) it's it's never easy. But uh, uh, again, I want to talk more about the policies. We could do that a little bit later in the conversation. But Let's go to China right now, because this is really interesting. You go back during the, I remember this, I've been doing the show for 25 years, and I remember when they normalized relations with China and all the promises that were made. Oh, this is going to be really good. This is a communist country, and it's going to really help the people there on, you know, in China, in the United States, and it, and it did not happen. It did not happen. Let's be honest. We lost millions of jobs. And you had Democrats and Republicans, and of course Bill Clinton led the led the pack on this, saying this uh, this was going to be good. Now, 
Now the Republicans and the Democrats are saying, oh, well, guess what? We have to uh, tighten the reins a little bit here. Talk to me about what's going on, because I know you did a really, really provocative piece on this in Real Clear Politics. And uh, again, you have to take a look at the jobs that disappeared, the industries that were affected, and it all leads to national security. That's the scary part about this. Scott, I'm going to let you pick it up from there. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll be happy to. And I, 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 I want to say that, you know, I was fortunate enough to work for a, uh, at the time, a member of Congress on Capitol Hill was leading, leading the fight against uh, normalizing trade relations with China. Uh, and he saw, you know, what was at stake. And I still have one of the, the signs from the time, which said no blank check for China. And that has certainly stood up a lot better than all the promises that you articulated that the, that the leaders sold sold us as as what was going to happen on this. And in fact, yeah, it's it's been not good for American workers. Uh, frankly, it hasn't been good for Chinese citizens. I mean, the country has not opened up. In fact, it's clamped down. Um, and it's uh, as repressive, if not more so than ever. Uh, and unfortunately, those ambitions extend beyond its borders now. Um, and the country is wealthier, uh, thanks to the lopsided trade arrangement that we had. But I, I think that there is a shift. Uh, and I think the shift uh, started to occur in the last administration. You know, Trump raised a lot of concerns about China. He put tariffs on. I don't know that he was very strategic about anything, uh, but but at least uh, he he realized that there was a problem here. I think Biden has been much more strategic about it uh, and has uh, basically put a lot of sanctions on high technology products from being developed uh, in China, like high tech semiconductors uh, that, that really will transform the global landscape for for that industry. Uh, And now uh, there's more congressional attention to it. And uh, maybe, look, I don't don't know how much this Congress is going to get done. They'll be lucky to function. (laughs) And we just, you just referred to that and kind of laying out some of the uh, the challenges that we face looking ahead at job growth in the economy, uh, like will they even be able to get a, uh, uh, you know, a budget bill or debt ceiling or anything like that. But one thing that they did already uh, in a bipartisan way is establish a select committee uh, on, uh, you know, economic and security concerns uh, between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party. And this, this uh, you know, the, the bill to pass the to, to form the committee passed uh, overwhelmingly. It was like 365 to 65 or something like that. So um, I don't know when we'll see that again. Um, and so that, to me, uh, it indicated that uh, at least uh, there should be some congressional attention focused on it. Now, here's the important thing. You know, if they focus on the side issues, like, you know, if they're looking at, you know, what, what were Hunter Biden's business dealings in China, uh, that's not going to move the ball forward on no. our relationship. But if they if they look at the broader issues, like what kind of cheating is going on, why we have to stop it, what what's the threat to American industry and security here, uh, and develop some bipartisan policies to uh, to, to address that, th- then I think it will be. Um, valuable and, and worthwhile, but at least that gave me a glimmer of hope, Flash, that uh, things uh, may be starting to turn around from a policy perspective. Well, let's talk about the makeup of this committee. Again, this is the new select committee on the strategic competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party. It's being chaired 
by Representative Mike Gallagher, a Republican out of Wisconsin. And I guess they're going to get some guidance from Steve Scalise, Republican out of Louisiana. With uh, with those two that are kind of uh, calling the shots, how, how do you feel moving forward? Do you think this is you think they'll this committee will it have some teeth to it? What, what you, what's your thoughts? Yeah, well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, uh, Congressman Gallagher, you know, a lot of people probably wouldn't agree with him on 90 uh, percent of the issues. But on this issue, uh, he's shown he can work across the aisle uh, and that he's very serious. Uh, and, for instance, I, I know that he's reached out to a lot of uh, Democratic critics of China already. Uh, to talk about how they can move forward, uh, both within the administration and, and with, within Congress. And so I view that as a very good sign. And um, I do think that for, for the committee to work well, that it has to do a couple of things. One, and I think this is certainly true, is that there is way too much um, anti-Asian rhetoric or anti-Asian American feelings that get generated from this. And so I think everybody has to be very careful about how uh, th- this is a this is approached because this has nothing to do uh, with with Asian Americans uh, or, or anything like that. This is about, uh, you know, the, the actions of uh, the government in China, uh, which is authoritarian uh, and, and is run by the Chinese Communist Party. So that's number one. Number two, I do think that this committee needs to have on it uh, members of Congress who have seen the impact of job loss uh, directly uh, in their communities from this imbalanced relationship. And so that to me means, uh, you know, more than one uh, representative from the industrial heartland, uh, you know, who has, you know, lived and served in a community uh, that uh, has been, you know, devastated over the last couple of decades by this type of competition. Uh, and I think that perspective is going to be very, very important to bring forward and to give the committee legitimacy in the eyes of, you know, the millions of voters out there, Democratic, Independent, Republican, who feel like Washington doesn't listen to them uh, yeah. on, on these issues. And so I think that's very important as well, Flash. Scott, one thing that has bothered me, we had a number of guests on the show over the years talking about the fact that we lost so many jobs, and that has been a threat to our national security because China has uh, embraced a lot of those positions, a lot of the industries. And it seems to me, and maybe you can uh, chime in here on this, it seems to me that our politicians finally realize that all those jobs, those industries that moved abroad are now hurting us when it comes to national security, especially the military. The military has been very outspoken on this, but nobody seemed to listen. Do you think maybe now they finally got the message? Yes. Well, starting to get the message, I think, is fair. And unfortunately, it took a massive disruptive shock to the system that, you know, first came in the form of the pandemic, uh, and then the, the shortages that we r- ran into because a lot of the stuff was made overseas, particularly the PPE, you know, the masks. Yeah. And then um, the, 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 the whiplash that we saw in supply chains because when people had money in their pockets and, you know, unfortunately, you know, were buying a lot of imports, 
that those ships were stacked up. Um, and it was, uh, and, and, and so we have that. And then, you know, perhaps even the most important aspect of that was with respect to like high tech products and semiconductors that go into a lot of sophisticated military and non-military equipment. And we realized we don't make hardly any of them here. In fact, we right. make, you know, we consume uh, about 20, 25% of the world's semiconductors. Uh, we, we make, uh, we, we make about seven or eight percent. And so that's why we have a policy now. And that's one of the things that passed with bipartisan support uh, in the last Congress to, to re-stand up a semiconductor industry in the United States. And so, yeah, it's a, the alarm bell has been rung. And I think we're well aware of, of some of the sectors uh, th- that are impacted by this, from microelectronics to pharmaceuticals um, to, uh, to, to specialty metals and uh, a lot of things like that, and how we've let way too much of that go overseas, uh, and how it's not just going to come back on its own, but we need no. policy. We need good yeah. policy uh, to help bring it back. And we're seeing some of that good policy. You know what? Let's take a break right now. We're going to talk about how that policy will make a difference in the years ahead. Scott Paul joining us on our live line today. Scott is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Steelworkers Local 979 and talk about uh, Mexico and the jobs that are going there in the steel industry. That and more back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at uaw.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate it those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. And remember this, if you like a show, please share that show. We uh, count all the downloads, our sponsors like that. We want to grow the show in 2023, 30 years for America's workforce, and coming up to three years with our podcasting. Man, if you miss a show, awfpodcast.com. Let's go back to Washington and rejoin Scott Paul 
from the Alliance for American Manufacturing, AmericanManufacturing.org is their website. Scott, let's talk about the the policies here. You and I have had a couple of discussions on this, and we're starting to see these policies paying off. Let's start off with the uh, solar manufacturing tax credits. I mean, this is a good one. We're, We're getting this push to go into alternative forms of energy. Talk to me about uh, about this. And the interesting thing about this, we invented it. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah it, it's one of those. Yeah, Bell Labs, you know, invented this technology, you know, uh, six, seven decades ago. And, uh, you know, it pretty much peaked when uh, President Carter had solar panels on the uh, White House rooftop and they were ripped away by Ronald Reagan. And uh, the, the dream, the industry just died in the United States. <laughs> and, and but it didn't die elsewhere. In fact, it got built up everywhere else because, you know, you got to love that, uh, you know, that that free energy from the sun. Right. Um, right. But the challenge has been as as all these countries around the world are trying to to to, to meet renewable uh, energy targets uh, and, and reduce carbon emissions, the United States among them, um, this industry has been centered in Asia for decades now, and, and there was virtually no solar manufacturing in the United States. And so um, I personally don't think it's a, a great job deal to simply be trading foreign oil uh, for made in China solar panels. Uh, I mean, because that's, you're missing out on all the jobs. And so yeah. uh, fortunately, again, with these solar uh, energy manufacturing tax credits that were part of the Inflation Reduction Act, um, that uh, we have seen a staggering number of announcements of solar manufacturing plants opening up in the United States and at first, a lot of these plants still depended on inputs coming from China uh, and other countries in Asia. But now uh, you're seeing uh, major announcements uh, where uh, these companies want to put together a start-to-finish supply chain from raw materials to finished goods uh, here in the United States. Q-Cells in Georgia, latest example of that. They're you know building a massive uh, facility uh, in Georgia. They already have one there. Um, and it's going to, you know, draw on supplies from the upper Midwest and all over the country. Uh, and, you know, at in Georgia itself, it's going to, you know, employ well over 2000 workers. And, you know, there's going to be thousands of jobs all over the country uh, as a result of that. And, and there is absolutely uh, only two reasons why this is happening. Uh, and one has to do is that we, we obviously have good workers in the United States. Number two uh, is that we finally have the policy. We finally have the policy. And so um, it's kind of like the, 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 the field of dreams. If you build it, uh, he will come. And mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're coming now because it is a, uh, it, it's set up for, for success. And I think that this is the tip of the iceberg, but unfortunately, some of the big solar installers that depend on the imports coming from China um, want to keep bringing them in, even though they're dumped, they're subsidized. Uh, sometimes they're made with forced labor, um, yeah. and they complain if there's tariffs on them. And we're like, but that's not a business model. If you're depending on on, on unfairly traded products, uh, you, you got to rethink your business model. And so I'm glad com- some companies are stepping up 
locating manufacturing in the United States. And that's going to be good for all of us. It's going to be good for our environmental goals, uh, and it's going to be good for jobs uh, in in many communities around the country as well. Well, Scott, here's my concern. Um, I'm reading that one of these companies, it's a Korean conglomerate. And uh, uh, is that the one that's going to uh, locate in Georgia that you referenced the the 2,000 jobs for solar? There's a couple of them. So I think Hanwha is the company that uh, that owns Q-cells. Yeah. Okay. Well, in in some of those cases where you got foreign companies coming over here, they 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 don't like people to unionize. I'm just concerned about their wages. Now, yeah. I don't know. Maybe we just don't know about that at this stage. Can you can you add to that? What, what do you know about that? You know, it's it's a great question. Obviously, you know, Georgia is not uh, is not a, a state that uh, is is super friendly for having a voice at work for right. for workers. Despite that, there have been organizing successes. I know the steel workers organized a Korean tire factory in Georgia. And so uh, it's possible to do. And, you know, my hope is that, uh, you know, that these companies will enter into partnerships to to make this possible, um, because I think that's going to be critical uh, to, to generating uh, these jobs being middle class jobs uh, and, and getting even more support. Um, but it's a um, you know, that's that's still a battle that's fought out at the state houses and, and elsewhere. Uh, and mm-hmm. so but but you're right. I mean, I think that's one of the things that we have to be careful of is, is that we got to make sure these are good jobs. Uh, and we also have to make sure that if, if the workers want it, that they have uh, an opportunity to have that voice at work flash. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 2,000 jobs. I'm not uh, slighting that at all. We just want to make sure that they're getting paid properly and getting the right benefits. And if they're allowed to unionize, hey, I'm all for it. Uh, let, let's talk about the media here. I saw, and, and I wasn't able to get the New York Times piece. Yeah, I have to have a subscription for that. But you did send uh, a piece on that about the media, especially the Times, picking up on what we're talking about right now, which is good. I mean, it, it's it's good to know that what's happening in Washington, I mean, we get we usually hear the bad stuff, okay, classified documents, <laughs> right. so, you know, all this stuff that's going on. It's got nothing yeah. to do with the American worker. But it's good to know that publications are coming out and saying, you know what, these policies are making a difference. Can can you reference what the Times yeah, picked up? In, I sure in that? can. Yeah, yeah, and those pesky paywalls, man, I'm telling you, it's, it's true. Um, the... Uh, so, you know, one of the complaints, and I think it's legitimate that the Biden administration has, is, is so much of the reporting about the economy has been all about inflation, right? Yeah. And, and, and in fact, uh, even though inflation, the, the rate of inflation has been going down for more than half a year now, <laughs> it's still what's on people's minds. And there, are, there continue to be, obviously, issues that flare up and, you know, the eggs because of an avian flu and, you know, some stuff that, you know, Joe Biden can't control. But but at any rate, you know, there's there's too much of that. And so, you know, one of the things I noticed the White House chief of staff had uh, tweeted the story out is that uh, Lily DePillis at The New York Times had done a story about how, uh, you know, how invisible, unfortunately, some of these job gains from the Biden policies have been. 
you know, like the infrastructure money, you know, the infrastructure money has started to go out the door and it goes to the states and uh, it goes to eligible projects, uh, whether it's uh, bridges or, uh, you know, uh, highway expansion um, or uh, water treatment or uh, building out broadband or a number of other categories. And, um, you know, and this got passed, uh, you know, about 15 months ago now. Uh, and there's jobs. They're coming out of this now. And, and these are good jobs. Right? I mean, these are great jobs. And so uh, you're starting to see this, uh, you know, uh, flare up uh, in, in the regional job numbers. And you're seeing as well because there have been all these factory announcements that have been made. And, you know, it takes a, a, a year, two, three to, to build a, a big, big factory. Um, but those construction jobs. Uh, are, are out there, you know, and, and these th- these things are under construction now, the, the, the semiconductor plants and what have you. And so uh, this is having a measurable impact uh, on the jobs market. Uh, and it's been great, great uh, for, uh, for for American workers. We have a historically low unemployment rate. Um, you know, wages have been uh, going at a decent clip. Um, and so it's just one of those things that uh, – <laughs> The, the, you know, the good news always gets a little bit of short shrift flash. And so yeah. it's uh, but but I think that it's important to show that, uh, you know, piece by piece, uh, the, this policy is working and uh, the jobs are, are starting to come. You're, to your point, the the Intel plant in central Ohio, New Albany, Ohio, that's going to have 7000 construction jobs. Monumental, wow. monumental. Yeah. And it was because of the CHIPS Act. So there's there's a direct, right. yeah, direct link from policy to the creation of jobs. Okay, one more thing here before you go. And this has to deal with domestic content. I came across this with the UAW website. They're, they're kind of concerned. Again, uh, some people in Washington, uh, there's some confusion on this. I, I don't fully understand this. Maybe you can tell us what's going on here. In fact, our next guest is going to talk about uh, imports from Mexico in steel that have picked up. They've uh, decreased from China, but they've gone to Mexico. What's going on here, Scott? I mean, this is scary. Yeah. Yeah. So a few years ago, we had this renegotiated NAFTA called the USMCA. And one of the things the USMCA did in a positive way was to, if you want to sell cars, uh, you know, duty free uh, in, in North America, they have to be made in North America, not only assembled here, but the content has to be overwhelmingly from the United States, Canada, and Mexico. And the assembly has to occur in a factory that pays good wages. Okay. And, and this was, this was the agreement. Right. Unfortunately, some companies and the government of, of Mexico in particular, um, uh, as well as Canada, had a quarrel about how the United States was interpreting this. Um, and so a trade panel, and these things are always pretty sketchy, Flash, I will say, uh, just sided uh, with the government of Mexico and, and the government of Canada and some of these companies in saying that the way you calculate the content uh, has to be diluted a little bit. And the net effect of that is going to be that, 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 yes, more imported steel, uh, more Chinese auto parts uh, can be put into these cars and they can still be counted as uh, domestic vehicles for the North American market. Um, uh, even though that means there'll be lost job opportunities in the United States, 
uh, and elsewhere. And countries that aren't a party to the USMCA and don't have to meet any of its obligations, and by those countries I'm referring to like China, are going to get a lot of the benefits. Uh, and so you know, we think this was a bad step. I think it's important to note that the Biden administration ripped this decision as well. And so uh, it very much wants to stand up for American workers uh, in all of this. But that was a a step in the wrong direction uh, on the trade front, Flash. Well, we'll uh, stay on that, especially with the uh, UAW when we have uh, our next segment with them. Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Again, AmericanManufacturing.org. Always enjoy my conversation with you. You uh, keep doing what you're doing over there in D.C. I don't know how you do it. It's a crazy place to work, but you're doing a good job, and we'll check in with you in the next month. Okay, buddy? You bet, Flash, and right back to you. Thanks for everything. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Tony Panza is chair of the Grievance Committee for Steelworkers Local 979. He's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The heat and frost insulators and allied workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Iron Workers, the sky's the limit. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to line number two. Welcome a newcomer to the show, and this is courtesy of Pat Gallagher. This is a segment we do each and every month with the North Coast Labor Federation. Get an update of what's happening in northeastern Ohio as well as the steel industry. And joining us on our live line is Tony Panza. Tony is chair of the Grievance Committee for Steelworkers Local 979, and they uh, represent the employees at Cleveland Cliffs and their Cleveland plant. Cleveland Cliffs is uh, all around the country, especially in the Midwest. And Tony is a third-generation steelworker. Tony Panza, welcome to the show, my brother. No, thank you. That's a pretty warm welcome. I appreciate it. So uh, I guess your dad was a uh, chief griever for local 188 this is going back to the 80s and 90s boy I, t- I come i don't know if pat told you this but i come from a steelworker family my dad was employed at u.s steel the old cuyahoga works off of harvard avenue 
And yeah. uh, boy, yeah, he was there for like uh, four decades. He worked in the shipping department. And uh, I I did two summers there, and I said, Dad, I don't know how you did this for forty years. <laughs> I mean, that was that was a tough job. So, uh, talk to me about your dad a little bit, and we'll talk about uh, Cleveland Cliffs here. Go ahead. Well, I'm the chairman of the grievance committee, and my father is the chief griever. Pretty much the same job, a different local, a different title. He was over on the west side, which is unfortunately uh, where Steel Yard Commons is right now. He. Yeah, they had we had a plant over there, the old J and L steel finishing mill. He was the chief griever, represented um, all the employees over there for 32 years, and um, up until the time he he ended up uh, getting ill and, and 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 not enjoying much of his retirement. But um, I still run into people today that are still around and remember him and appreciate some of the work he did. So it's. It's really nice to have that connection with people. Yeah, yeah. You want people to make an impact, a positive impact, and obviously your dad did that. So, and you're following his footsteps. Yeah. So, so good for you. So, uh, talk to me about Cle- how big is Cleveland Cliffs, by the way. That's my first question. Well, I mean, you know what? I think right now they're the you know the largest uh, steel manufacturer in in North America, and and certainly that includes mines. And uh, you know what? Uh, I got to be real honest with you. I mean, you know what? Uh, in any in any relationship, you know, there's always issues. But man, we are so glad they bought us, and um, they've really made some investments here in the plants. Um, and you got to remember, not too long ago, they weren't even in steel, and then they they went ahead and bought AK Steel, and, and probably about six or seven months after that, they came down and they they bought us. So. Uh, we're we're glad to be under the Cleveland Cliffs tent right now, and looking forward to many more decades of steel manufacturing in, in Ohio and North America. Well, that's good to hear. You don't hear that too often from uh, from people that say, "Hey, they're a good employer." And I, I remember, you know, with Arcelor Middle, there were a lot of lot of issues, a lot of issues. So, uh, when it comes to uh, representing the bargaining when it comes to grievances what are what are some of the things that come to the table tony well it's it's a wide variety of things uh, unfortunately anymore today a lot of uh, some of the things are attendance issues um we have a big turnover of people right now we have a lot of newer people and uh, you know i i guess my philosophy or my my observations is, and I remember when I was young, when I was young and I made a good check, um, I wanted to go out and spend that check and have a good time. So I, I think sometimes with, with younger v- people, they value their time off a lot more than some of the, the people that have been here a long time and, and are looking to pad the Social Security. So certainly attendance is one of that, is, is one of the things. Um you know, other than that, it's, you know, run-of-the-mill kind of stuff. Uh, you know, somebody uh, gets overlooked for overtime um, by somebody else, and, and they're looking to, uh, you know, to, to file agreements and recoup that, that money. But I also think that we, we do use the grievance uh, procedure to, to sit down and kind of explore the nuances of the contract and, and – and figure out ways to work together to to represent the employees and also uh, 
to, you know, get more things done here and make it a better place to work. The attendance issue. I uh, I remember that from years ago, especially on the day after payday. <laughs> People, <laughs> all of a sudden, they're not there. They didn't show up for work. They're still at the bar. That That's still going on today? Well, I, I don't know about the bar part. I, I, I will say this. I, I can remember those days myself. And, and, in fact, there's a few establishments right down the street from the mill, and I, and I can remember seeing a lot of traffic going in and out. But I, I think, you know, part of the thing now today with, with folks is, you know, folks have a real appreciation for time off. Um, I, you know, I often explain to them, I've been down here now, you know, going on 36 years. I can remember the argument for the 40 hour work week. And then in the eighties, somehow, you know, everybody got, got hooked into working 48 hours a week and, and then 56 and, and working a lot of overtime seemed to become the norm. And I think these, I think these uh, newer folks, they have a greater appreciation for their their time away from work. And, uh, you know, they're trying to enjoy that. But the, the one good thing is a lot of our shift jobs, about two-thirds of our jobs down there are shifts. But um, when we came out of the uh, shutdown in 2000 and went with IAG, who is a great employer, we developed what we called alternative work schedules. And these were 12-hour shifts, and they are, you know, rotating days and nights. But most of them are on, like, four-on, four-off schedules. So you work four, you're off four. You work four, you're off four. And there's variations of that. But basically what it comes down to is you you could have the opportunity to be off 26 weeks each year if if you're not really interested in working any overtime. So we're – those types of things, I think we're trying to address that with the folks. Um, but I, 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 it still continues on, and, and we'll work through it. And it, eventually, they'll all hold mortgages and have kids that want to go to college, and, and they'll be on the hook like the rest of us. Sure, sure. Tony, let's talk about um, what's going on here with Mexico. I, I brought this up with Scott Paul and the uh, Alliance for American Manufacturing just a few minutes ago, and, and I don't like what I'm seeing here. Apparently, with this uh, UMCA trade agreement from a couple of years ago, which was referred to as NAFTA 2.0, the agreement said that steel products could enter the U.S. duty-free, and obviously they took advantage of that, and I'm looking at a big jump in imports what uh, what's that uh, what's that doing to the job situation, especially in in uh, northeastern Ohio in the, in the uh, local that you represent at nine seventy nine? Well, you know, I don't I don't know right now that we're we're necessarily seeing the effects of that. But you know what? I mean, we lived through the you know the two thousands when the dumping of steel and everything else, and and while we applaud the current administration, that I think that they've you know, that they've worked with us and for us, but we think there needs to be more done. And, and really, I kind of view it as, you know, COVID was in all the bad things about COVID. One of the things that I think came out of COVID is it really displayed to this country the, the, the problems with supply lines when you get so ingratiated with, with you know, um, globalization. And I think what's happening here is 
is, you know, Mexico is, you know, um, you know, they have an opportunity to, to, to work with us and, and sell some of their product. And, and what's happening here is, you know, people always find ways to work around agreements. And I think that, you know, they're, they're, they're stepping in because, um, you know, people were concerned about supply chains and everything else. And, and they're certainly taking advantage of it. And, and then you talk about Northeast Ohio, I think about the, the, uh, the, uh, microchips you know i you know we have that they're, they're going to build a uh you know a plan and i think out by columbus right and you know and that's and you know and anymore today microchips like steel is a basic industry and you know we need to continue to support and fight for our basic industries because when we don't when we have these disruptions whether it's a pandemic or whether it's a, a war in ukraine or whatever it ends up being and we're relying on it on other people for our materials, and man, we don't want to do that as a country. And I thought I thought we're moving on from that. Yeah, you know what? So many people like yourself, guests on this show, have said that pandemic was a wake up call. In fact, Scott Paul just talked about that from the Alliance yeah. for American Manufacturing. It, it it cast a light on the fact that we are so vulnerable to other countries other countries that could be our enemy or they are our enemy. I mean, it's, it's scary when you, when you take a look at the situation, you know, I want to, you got great leadership at the steelworkers, buddy. I mean, Tom Conway, Leo Gerard. I remember having Leo Gerard on the show for many, many years. He uh, preceded Tom, but if you go to USW.org, there's a really, really good blog. I, I read part of it at the top of the show talking about what you just said. And it's, it's all about building the essential supply chain. Enough is enough. We learned our lessons. I hope we have. But we have to build things in America again. And we've got the skills to do that. We have the workers that are willing to do that. That's what, It's so important. And uh, we're talking about good jobs here. Good jobs. Family-sustaining jobs. So, Tony, I appreciate you coming to the table today. I know Pat Gallagher is kind of winding down a little bit. I think he leaves at the the end of March. But thanks for filling in. I appreciate it. And you keep up the fight. Okay, brother? No, I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate the program because it's, you know, we got to get the word out to people and let them, uh, you know, hear what's going on. And and, and because we're all out here working for each other, trying to to make this community a good uh, community with good paying jobs. Thank you. You got it. That's what it's all about. You take care. Stay in touch, okay? All right. Bye-bye. Again, that's Tony Panza, chair of the uh, Grievance Committee for Steelworkers Local 975. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce tomorrow. We're going to check in with the American Legion and the Alliance for Retired Americans. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.